<laughs> I feel like in 20 years, people are going to look back and just be like, holy shit. Like, people were celebrating this. Hi, I'm Rachel Handler, and welcome to Lady Problems, where every Thursday, me and a rotating crew of ladies look at the way that pop culture treats women with the women who make pop culture. This week, my co-hosts are Hazel Sills. Hello, Hazel. Hi, Rachel. And Andrea Salenzi. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Andrea is the host of YOY, which is a weekly podcast where dating and relationships meet technology. So we're going to talk to Andrea about The Bachelor, which she loves and which Hazel has never seen and which I am sort of patently against. Um, And then we're going to have Andrea solve some relationship problems from characters in this year's Oscar-nominated films. Don't worry. I promise it makes sense. Uh, And later, we're going to solve a lady problem for a concerned mother. So, Andrea, before we get into this Bachelor debate, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about YOY? So I say it's dating advice, but I am not a dating expert. And actually, my love life is kind of a mess right now. So I would <laughs> say uh, I started this weekly podcast a few months ago, and then I started. I went through kind of a devastating breakup. So the show is part dating advice, but also really just personal journal. And you kind of get to watch me as I try to piece my life back together. The breakup only took 10 minutes. You said... How does a relationship work if you know it's going to end? I said, but what if you change your mind? We've been having the conversation in different ways for a while, but never this calm. I noticed your fly was down. I patted your knee like a chum. We're not going to make it, are we? Suddenly, we felt like buddies. Uh, And the show is also a mix of real and fake stories, so it's a fun journey to try to figure out when I'm playing with you and when I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did your voice change? Do, are there any tells? No. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think it's kind of like your Facebook feed, right? It could be an Onion article. It could be a ClickHole article. You never know. Interesting. So I did one episode with, uh, that had this uh, strange podcast sponsor, a company called Salvation. Um, Salvation. All you need to do is upload photos of every part of your body, and a Salvation representative will recommend different anti-aging solutions based on your weakness spots. Oh, my God. Sounds believable, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then the ads become increasingly more menacing as the episode goes on. (laughs) So you're doing some fake news. Yeah. (laughs) Blame it all. Okay. Um, Okay. So we're going to talk about The Bachelor because when we reached out to Andrea, she mentioned that this is her favorite, one of her favorite shows. God, it's so embarrassing, though. (laughs) This is, I, I mean, I'm, for a while, my friends just swore me to secrecy, but then I've developed the amount of, like, intel on The Bachelor, like, enough backlog that I feel like, you know, that's nerdy sports guy who just knows all the stats about the Mets. Right. Like, I've watched all the offshoots, and I've followed all the Instagram accounts, and it's just embarrassing at this point. What What do you love about The Bachelor? You know, no one taught me really how to date, and no one teaches any of us how to date. And some of the most important conversations of your life are things like, do you want to have a family someday? Like, how do you feel about marriage? What does trust mean to you? And these are conversations that they have on absolutely every ap- episode of The Bachelor. And Interesting. Okay. Even though it's a, it seems like a fake performance of those conversations, <laughs> I, as a producer, I can kind of feel when it's real. And when it is real, it just, it's got, it's like, oh, it's just, it's like crack to me. So there's this <laughs> one season where... Um, this is the anecdote. I, anytime I try to convince someone to love The Bachelor, yeah. um, Andy Dorfman was 
this like Jewish attorney from uh, somewhere in the South, maybe uh, Atlanta area. <laughs> and she's like kind of like she frowns in a really cute way. And it's just totally gorgeous. And so Andy's on the season and there's this one guy and you, she knows right from the start of the show that Josh is her type. And okay. he's the bad guy that she keeps dating over and over and over, like the sports guy. But he's also like Jewish and from Atlanta. And they have so much in common. And she tries to resist him and she can't. And there's this moment where they meet each other's parents. And he just he's this big athletic dude. And he just starts bawling. Like just imagine the moment you meet the people who you really believe will be your in-laws. Like you think that they will see your children born. You think that you will be there when they die. Like it's the most it's seeing the drama of actual relationships condensed in a TV show. And are they still together? No. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> that does. That is sort of convincing me. Like I wouldn't expect. So it's funny before we um were talking about you know this podcast, I said it's weird that I've never seen The Bachelor or The Bachelorette yet. I've seen like every season of like Rock of Love, Flavor of Love, I Love New York, this weird, <laughs> horrible dating show in the mid-2000s called Beauty and the Geek, where, like, really beautiful women are paired with geeky guys. Yes. I've seen Unreal. <laughs> so um, I feel like when I think of The Bachelor, like, I feel like I would be drawn more to the spectacle of it or the or the performative aspects of it. But you're saying there's actually some, some serious realness there. Yeah, and I've seen more real relationships start on The Bachelor than, I don't know, what's that, Millionaire Matchmaker. Like, oh my God. In the whole history of that show, I think there were maybe two couples, but they weren't exactly who she matched up. And I watch these Bachelor relationships. I get look at photos of their kids on Instagram. Like, I, they really do play <laughs> out. And I think there is something to having rules and structure to your dating life. Like, one of the things I hear from women a lot about dating is you don't know the rules. You don't – there's just so many guys to pick from. You don't really know – like, at least on a television show, they're handing you this one guy who seems very vetted and not murdery. And who seems Brad really Brad seems murdery to me. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> if any of them turn out to be a murderer. I said he had heads on his under his floorboards. Because he has a twin. Oh, that of course oh. he is an actual murderer. Yeah, I'm not. Don't worry, Brada. But we're not coming for you. But do you feel like so? There's no part of you that watches it ironically. I mean, because I think that's can, a big part of the viewership. Yeah, I think that there are tropes. You know, there's always the villain, and you can watch for the villain. And I think you watch how the dialogue repeats. So I'm starting to fall in love with you. I think I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. I told you I'm in love with you. Like the phrases repeat and they, the conversations happen when they're supposed to happen. But uh, so you can see the theater of it, but then you see the truth through the theater. And it's, oh. it's hard to explain. No, I like that, actually, because I think a lot of a lot of my friends who watch it are very sort of apologetic about it. Like they're like, oh, I'm watching it, but it's just like funny and I like to make fun of it or whatever. And that's honestly how I was watching it when I, I watched the first. I was very into like Trista and Ryan, which was, I think, very early on. And I, I think I probably watched like five or six seasons. And then I wrote about this like for one of the first pieces for MTV News about how I started to feel kind of like gross after I watched it. Like I was being bad, you know, like I was like, I'm, I don't like, like I felt like the show was watching me and it was like, you're a bad person for like <laughs> laughing at these women because this is like the culture has created these women and then we're like making fun of them at the same time. It's like this weird, I don't know what it is. It's like the other thing too is that, so the bachelorette feels like an inversion of like the way that society actually works because the women are in control and they have like, they call all the shots. But then The Bachelor is just like, this is kind of just like a sick sort of um, like amplification of real life. You know, like women women being like oppressed and pitted against each other. And so every time I watched it, it just made me kind of depressed. <laughs> 
Yeah. Maybe the show's evolved since then because I, I do feel, you know, you can't, you'll hear this in The Bachelor a lot, like you're picking me back. And we are starting to see in this current moment of the season that Vanessa, who's this like gorgeous special ed teacher from Montreal who, lo- you know, looks like the star of a major motion picture. I mean, she's gorgeous. Uh, she's looking at him making bad decisions and you feel like she maybe she's really going to hold him accountable for the ways he's going to behave in these last few episodes. Who is, I don't even know who The Bachelor is now. Who is he? Ah, Nick. (laughs) I just assume he's like a farmer. Yes. With like millions of dollars. Who has a vineyard. Maybe, maybe I'm crossing the the wires here with like reality. Does he own some kind of land? No. (laughs) He used to sell software in Chicago. He's beardy. He has just unbelievable abs, just like, like very long, narrow abs, but he's kind of nerdy and he, only sometimes he talks through his teeth like he kind of is a mumbler and you can tell that only the smartest bachelorettes of the past have really fallen for him like the smartest wittiest ladies so you can tell he has some presence if you could kind of hang out with him he's the first bachelor I've ever wanted to date just a little okay yeah because I was gonna say the other part of it is I'm never ever remotely attracted to anyone the only one that I liked was um the one who Allie the bachelorette ended up with yeah Roberto Yes. He was fucking hot. They look very, like, rubbery. They look very, like, <laughs> well exfoliated. Yes. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that note on, you know, people wanting structure in their dating life. Because I feel like right now, and your podcast gets into this a lot, but there are so many different ways to date now. And it's kind of scatterbrained and, like, which app do I choose? And um, something about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette feels very, like, almost like 50s like I think of like those like dating shows where it's like mystery date and and uh I'm wondering if like dating shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are even more popular now because of that like weird way of navigating the dating world today absolutely so I'm working on an episode right now and I recorded this tape this summer but I stood in line at auditions to 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 go on The Bachelor so girls who wanted to date the Bachelor. They didn't even know who it was going to be yet. And I expected to see a line of kind of supermodel looking ladies like in high heels and cocktail dresses and their hair all blown out. And instead, it looked like the ladies were in the room right now. Like it looked like totally normal. We don't look like supermodels. What are you saying? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 I get what you're saying. I met a group of colleagues who all work at a fertility clinic together. You know, I met a group of women who all work in PR together. And it was kind of a thing that brought them together. But also they just one after another told me that they'd been through a breakup within the past year. And one after another told me that they've deleted all the apps, that it felt unnatural to them. And it's like, how could you say that Tinder feels unnatural, but going on a television show to date someone who you don't even know what's going to be yet feels natural. But I think we we want rules. We want structure. We want less decisions that we have to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to know that the guys are serious. And I think think at a certain age, all the guys aren't serious. In your early 20s, everyone you date one after another (laughs) is a guy who just isn't looking for something real right now. The Bachelor is this fantasy of a guy who wants something so real, is able to talk about it, is able to tell the whole country that he's looking for something real. And he's also usually somewhat good looking. More Lady Problems after this break. Hazel, have we convinced you, like, to watch it or to not watch it? I'm kind of interested. <laughs> I'm interested in watching it. I feel like I I see what you're saying. I also see what you're saying. Yeah. But I feel like I 
I should watch some episodes. I say wait for the next season. Wait for Rachel. It's going to be really amazing. Yeah, I want to talk about that, too. So is that the first one, the first woman of color, right? Who's the ever first been the person of color. Right. Yeah. Not even men. That's mm-hmm. true. OK. So what do you think about that? Because for me, that's like horrendous that it's taken this long and that people are like, yay. I'm like, yes. no, like, <laughs> fuck you, ABC. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, it's shameful. And it's it's actually unbelievable that you could watch season after season. Uh, no one could make it into the final rounds if they were a person of color. Um, for the most part, there are some exceptions. But I'm just, I'm thrilled. I feel like the producers saw, like, something in her right from the beginning. And I think she's been on the next Bachelorette track since the moment, like, probably even before the show started. Because also the part of the joy for me is watching the show as a producer and imagining how their little puppet strings are working. And Rachel was given the first impression rose, mm-hmm. which... Uh, you know, for Nick, he's watched, he just met, you know, 20, 30 people that night. Everyone's going to blur together. I'm sure the first impression Rose has much less to do with his first impression and much more to do with who the producers want the audience to be paying attention to. So I think he knew Rachel was special, but I think the producers were like, she, she's coming down to your final four. She's our next bachelorette. Get, please give her this rose right now. Were they not into each other, like in a real way on the show? If you could see through the the artifice to them, what would it be? I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I never really saw it for them, and which is why they gave they gave away the secret that she's about to be pulled before she was actually pulled from the show. So if you watch oh. the show at this stage, you still see her as a contender, but then the news has come out. And I really think that it's for casting. So the news came out that she's going to be our next Bachelorette, and that's because there's a logistical challenge of actually getting people of color to take the show seriously and believe that they'll actually have a shot on on the show. So if they want her to actually have a dating pool that looks like uh, America, this is how they're going to have to do it. So if I'm going to tune in right before the finale, what should I be looking for? Well, the producers have set up this interesting decision that Nick's going to be making. I think he's known he's going to pick Vanessa from before the show began, probably. But I think he's known that he was going to pick Vanessa from probably the first night. But there's a character named Corinne, and she has long, straight, blonde hair, and she runs her dad's multi-million dollar company out of Florida. <laughs> and <laughs> she feels like a mini Ivanka to me. She feels like I'm this powerful, you know, woman who's a mover and shaker, but then you also learn that she has resources like a nanny, and she can just blow $3,000 on a shopping trip any As an any adult? Day. As an adult, yeah. She's a nanny as an adult. She's a nanny as an adult who makes her cheese pasta. She's very what? definitely tuning pasta. in. <laughs> cucumbers she makes her cucumbers um, cheese pasta that's her like indulgence macaroni and cheese no cheese pasta she's given the recipe online <laughs> oh my it's, god it's basically cheese on pasta but she tries to make it herself but only Raquel can make it so basically they the what whole kind of ra- cheese <laughs> just, just seems very boring it's really not worth talking about or Parmesan? thinking about but you no one wants to see her succeed because she uh I, she's shallow and there, like, tries to exploit her the ways that she's sexual. She showed up at Nick's hotel room, tried to make out with him. Mm-hmm. So no one wants to see her make it. And then uh, Vanessa is Canadian. She's from Montreal. She speaks French and Italian. She teaches adults who are special needs and helps them scrapbook and draw pictures. She's basically an angel. We have the angel and the devil. And who will he pick? Wow. Hazel, you want to make your predictions? <laughs> the nanny. <laughs>
We are going to play a game, Andrea, that Hazel and I made up last week. And because it's it's the Oscars this week, we decided to have the fictional characters from the Oscars nominated films ask you for relationship advice. So we, I'm going to read a, a thing that we wrote in character from an Oscar nominated film, and it's going to be relationship advice related. You're going to answer it, and then we're going to reveal what movie it's from. With the disclaimer that I haven't seen a lot of yes. these movies, and I'm not really qualified to give relationship advice. <laughs> You're extremely qualified. No, you can do a dating podcast and not be good at dating. (laughs) It's really easy. But it seems like you're good at telling other people how to date. So we trust you. We trust you here at Lady Problems. Yes. Okay. So I'm an aspiring actress, and my boyfriend wants to be a jazz musician. But we don't have time for each other, and he's always traveling. What should I do? I'd say, like, stop fucking dancing and singing so much. (laughs) Like, I'm just not in. I just don't care. I'm. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but seriously, people do have the issue of, so they, they both have dueling but equally important careers, and they can't decide whether it's worth it to sort of scale back job-wise or break up and pursue their dreams. What do you think? Gosh, it's so, I, I have a friend going through a breakup over exactly this right now. Oh. Um, you know, I feel like when you meet the person who you're going to want to give stuff up for, you'll know that you met that person. And if there is a question about if you've met that person, then you probably haven't. I feel like it's very rare that you could ever meet someone who you'd love enough to ever put your own dreams aside for. Um, And that if that person were around, you would, it'd be an easy decision maybe. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, just don't give anything up that you care about for another person. And if it's like, if it'll be, it'll be. That's kind of how I felt watching the movie. I was like, I don't see the problem. Why can't you guys just like because fucking they're in work it love, out? Rachel. <laughs> I was like, just be together and they're like go love. to Paris. Like it's gonna be fine. <laughs> it really wasn't that much of a dilemma for me personally. Did they? Did it work? How did it work? No, out? they break. Uh, well, spoiler alert: they break up at the end. Ah. And they but they're both like famous in their respective fields. That's you just right. ruined the movie for everyone. Yeah. And now oh, I don't have to see it. I'm so happy. Oh, sorry. I thought everyone had seen it. It's not a good movie. I'm so happy I don't have to see it. (laughs) Okay, Hazel, go ahead. Okay. It's the 1950s. My husband won't let our son try out for football, secure his future. But I also think he has a dark secret. I think he might be cheating on me. How do I talk to him about this? How do I get him to stop keeping secrets from me? Gosh, you know, I think in the 1950s, you have such a hard time having any independence at all. I mean, he's a, you're not, she's not earning an income. She's probably staying at home and baking a lot. She's probably making sure everyone, you know, has some really great food to eat all the time. I think she needs to find her own um, side hustle. Um, <laughs> if she thinks that this is about to turn into like an abusive, toxic relationship, I think she should hurry up and, you know, maybe while you're baking all that, ex- all those like amazing biscuits, like offer, start a little basement business right I feel like she was she's always get doing things yeah she was uh, helping everyone she's like an incredibly efficient <laughs> woman and I would love to see her you know maybe find an exit strategy uh that's good advice yeah find maybe an like a strategy. weed business yeah yes they need no. those in the 50s no Rachel <laughs> <laughs> this was the movie Fences by the way which I still haven't seen so I can't speak to whether or not she should start a weed business if you, yeah, I feel like if you start to see things going toxic, 
it's it's time to create an exit strategy. But unfortunately for women in the 1950s, there are no exit strategies. Uh, and you're just going to be totally dependent on this person who can't see you. This is sad. It's a sad one. Um, okay, the next one. So I have uh, inherited a unique ability to see the future and the past at the same time. And uh, I can't explain it to anybody because nobody will really believe me. But what I know is that I'm going to have a baby and she's going to die. But I still want to have the baby. Should I tell my husband that the baby's going to die or should I just have the baby and not tell him? And he's not even your husband yet, right? Right. That's true. He's not my husband yet, but he will be my husband. Should I, t- should I tell my colleague who will eventually be my husband? <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Andrea? I'm really struggling. This is also, you know, like a workplace. Right. One, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty obsessed with Arrival. I, I, <laughs> it's that if you could see the way your future plays out, would you do anything differently? And that just that just that question, you could think about it all day long. I think you can't do anything differently. I think... In this situation, you she she made a decision, which is so powerful to say, I'm going to embrace my future the way it's going to play out, even if there's sadness. And I don't think you get to decide that you're only going to live in happiness. And it's it's taking both that is the ultimate human experience. So you think it's OK if she does if I don't tell my coworker slash future husband <laughs> about our dying child in the future? Yes, because if you tell him, then you'll never have that child. And, True. and you, she, it clearly meant enough to her that she wanted that future, even if it led to their divorce, even if it led to the child dying okay. of cancer. Thank you, whatever. Andrea. I feel better now. Is it, I don't know if that's helpful. No, that what, would you tell, what would you tell her? I agree. I would say the same thing. I thought she never should have told him. When I watched the movie, I was like, why did you ever say anything? Because she kind of tells him like fairly early. Like halfway through the kid's life, right? Yeah. Would so, you guys want to know the most horrible things that are going to happen to you in your future? Mm. No. No, I don't want to know. I shy away from psychic stuff and card readings, and I don't like it because I don't want someone to tell me something, and then I'll obsess over it. Right. Right. One of the best pieces of dating advice I've heard since my breakup was the idea that being an adult means learning to live with some regret. And as I was watching Arrival, I couldn't stop thinking that, just the idea that there will be sad things. There will be things you can never change. And you just, that's what it is. Wow. That's good. That's aliens. good shit. Aliens. <laughs> also aliens are real. Also aliens are real. <laughs> okay. okay, Hazel. What, what advice do you need? I am on a space shuttle where I'm supposed to be asleep for 90 years. <laughs> I woke up by accident and fell in love with the only guy who's awake on the ship. But then I found out that he woke me up on purpose <laughs> Should I still be with him even though we're going to die on the ship alone? <laughs> this is real shit. This is real talk, Hazel. It's is... ev- but everyone else is asleep. <laughs> yeah. It's just you. I haven't seen this movie. It's just you, Chris Pratt, and I, that robot oh, bartender. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So you could have a lot of sex with Chris Pratt before you die in outer space. Mm-hmm. But he exactly. also woke you up. Right. So he woke you up against your will. Sleeping beauty. That's and then the ultimate charming. But then thing. like you're going to die way earlier than you would have. Hazel, of course. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> so you're going to die sooner because he woke you up? Yeah. yeah you, were, you were in like a, a sleep that kept you alive for 90 years or however long. I also Until you got to the next planet. <laughs> right. And then you were going to repopulate that planet with humans. Wow. Yeah. 
I'm so mad at him. If he really loved her, he would have let her sleep. I agree. That's it. Yes. (laughs) And that goes to all, that's for all relationships, really. (laughs) That is (laughs) universal (laughs) advice. That is so true, actually. I get nothing makes me more upset than when my boyfriend awakens me against my will. Because it does shorten my life. I mean, it depends on the reason he's waking you. Right. Unless there's like a fire. (laughs) Or sex. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. We'll be back with more Lady Problems after this ad. We have a Lady Problem right now from a mother of a 12-year-old girl. Um, So we'll let her take it away. Hi, I am a mom of a 12-year-old girl who is becoming aware of rape culture and has asked me why women even bother reporting rape based on the things that she has read online in news articles about rape sentencing and prosecution and what women are put through when they press charges. And I honestly don't know how to answer her because, you know, it used to be that I thought we reported rape because we thought that it would prevent it from happening again. You know, it would protect other women. And yet, as judges continue to sentence rapists to ridiculously light sentences, it doesn't seem like that's happening. Um, So I don't know how to answer her. And I would love to get, you know, some guidance from other women. Thank you. First of all, I I mean, we're really uh, honored that you feel like we're capable of answering this question. I think this is really serious and very, you know, something we all think about all the time. And I mean, first of all, there's obviously no right way for a woman, for a survivor to to react to an assault or a rape. Um, But I I do think that this is like absolutely the question, especially now what with like Rock Turner and all of these cases that are right, these light sentences for young men and the fact that rape is being, you know, debated in in our government. What's legitimate rape? Can a woman actually be, is there such thing as marital rape? I mean, we do live in a time when this is like, the conversation around rape is really horrifying. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think as to the question of, you know, why would a woman even report her assault if she's going to, you know, be put through this horrible process is I, I think there is some good that can come out of, you know, identifying yourself as a survivor. Um, the more women do that, the more common it will seem to people. I still think that there are people who think it it only happens to a certain kind of woman or in a certain space. And really, it's um, horrifyingly common. Um, but yeah, and I agree with the the point that there really is, there's no right way. And I think, you know, when a woman experiences this, it's, it's up to her to make that decision if it's something, you know, she wants to report and have it on the record and pursue, you know, an investigation through her college or through the legal system, or if she just wants to, you know, move on. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay too. It's okay to move on and, and not pursue that because I mean, we've seen it happen. It's, it's horrible the way women are treated when they make accusations and when they, they try to pursue that. What's so interesting to me, what's so interesting to me is how not shocked I was that a 12 year old girl could absorb this from the culture. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me remember I don't know, looking at Monica Lewinsky when I was a little girl and just thinking about, I probably had the exact same thoughts. 
Um, but I do think change happens and I do think things get better. It's hard to feel that way with Donald Trump as our president. Right. You know, it's hard to believe that with the, the larger culture, but just one tiny anecdote. Um, I have a friend of a friend who is 30 years old and she met a cute bartender who was 19 and one thing led to another and they hooked up. And his process of getting consent from her to make sure that she wanted to do what they were about to do was totally foreign to her as a 30-year-old woman. She'd never had a guy ask for consent consent in her whole life. And I do think that there is a new generation of guys coming up through college culture today who are learning more about how to talk about sexual assault. And these changes are so small and so slow. But I would say teach your daughter about other activist movements of the past, you know, educate her about how the gay rights movement worked, how we were able to legalize gay marriage, like teach her how to be a feminist and make this part of her agenda as a young woman to be part of that education process because it doesn't it doesn't have to seem this futile. I think it can really seem like a part of the culture that we're actively involved in changing. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I don't right. It's not like our job to educate men, but the sad truth is that sometimes we do. And I, you know, I think about a lot of the men in my life that I've had a really similar conversation with where I'm like, this is what rape culture means. This is what consent means because they've never even you're like mostly older men have not heard these terms and have never. It's like a completely foreign concept to them. So I do think that there's value in speaking about it in that way, too. It might seem disheartening, but like the fact that there's work being done outside of the law mm-hmm. like it sucks that we can't be doing that work within the law but if they're as you said like just even having those conversations is important mm-hmm. and I'm thinking too so I interviewed this woman Daisy Coleman she is the subject of a documentary that aired on Netflix earlier this year called Audrey and Daisy it's really good I would actually watch that with your daughter um, it's it's definitely dark but I think it's appropriate for her to watch um, and Audrey was assaulted when she was a teenager uh, she she reported her rape, but her town, she lived in a very small town and it turned again, they turned against her and, you know, blamed her and even, you know, as high up as her principal and the authorities went, were blaming her, her assault, her attacker got off, you know, with a slap on the wrist. And, you know, in the years since she has like struggled with, you know, is this, do I keep talking about this even though it's, you know, it's over and there's no real like legal implications. But now there's this movie and I asked her, you know, why, why are you talking about this now in this movie? And she said that meeting these other girls and these other women was extremely gratifying, knowing that there were other women out there uh, willing to not be anonymous so they could help other people. So her big thing is like being an advocate for other rape victims and helping them find the courage to speak out. So there's there's definitely value in that, like you were saying, outside of the law and outside of, you know, your own healing, even just speaking out for other women. And I also think that there's a way that you could, you know, help your daughter as a news consumer I think some of these stories exist to scare women away from reporting. And mm-hmm. some of those stories might be getting a larger mouthpiece because they feel against what we believe. So like the Brock Turner case. So I think the happy endings we're not hearing. I think not that there's any happy ending, right. mm-hmm. but the the cases that are reported and acted on, that wouldn't make news necessarily. Yeah, that's a really good point too. Thank you so much for asking this question. This is a really good question. 
And if you have a lady problem that you would like us to answer, you can follow us on Twitter at Lady Problems Pod. You can ask us about a lady problem there, or you can leave us a message on the Lady Problems Hotline at 205-677-5239. That's 205-677-LADY. So Andrea Salenzi, thank you so much for joining us. I love the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you online and how they can listen to YOY? YOY is a podcast just like Lady Problems. So open up your favorite podcast app and just search for YOY. And it's the question why, not the letter why, <laughs> uh, which kind of speaks to a lot of our dating lives. Like, why? <laughs> it's a little, it's a call of distress, not a question. Yes. And can they find you on Twitter? Oh, sure. I'm just my full name at Twitter. And I post screenshots of just the weirdest dudes I find on Tinder. And I'm basically on absolutely every dating app at this point. So (laughs) I'm trying to curate some of the weirdness. And it's a good way to share that experience if you're also going through it. And maybe they'll see you on the dating apps. God, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to my co-host, Hazel Sills. You're welcome. I'm Rachel Handler. That was Lady Problems. And we'll see you guys next week. This episode of Lady Problems was produced by Michael Catano, James T. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. 